you jackass. Welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast. With your hosts, Tom and Matt. Welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast, presented by jackasscritics.com. I'm Tom. London gentlemen. I'm Matt. Blackbeard's delight. It's Matt. How's it going, Bro Cephas? Bro Cephas. That's that's an unexpected one. It's slightly Uh, topical, though, you have to admit. It it is indeed, yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, number, what is this, eight, seven? Number seven. Uh, I'm already ahead. Yeah, so uh, BII, as I like to call it, and uh, mm. we're we're uh, on our way. We are. We're uh, we're getting up there. And today we are bringing a movie to you, the listener, uh, from a director that interests both of us. Notice I didn't say a director that we both love and cherish. <laughs> yeah, we well, are bringing. Yeah, we are bringing Brian De Palma's "Dress to Kill" to Jackass Critics Podcast. A man that delivers generally entertaining movies, sometimes get mired in his own fandom, I guess we could say, but I'm sure we'll get into that here shortly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we will get into that shortly. The first segment we're going to bring up, though, is Bullets in the Chamber. Tom, what about your at Jackass Tom? I mean, I mean, I know at Jackass Matt's been going up lately. Man, I just fired off some bullets, and you're already yeah. yeah you're right. bringing it back. That's all right. You, yeah, <laughs> we should plug the site, right? Absolutely. And and at Jackass Matt has been blowing up for some reason, which we'll get into shortly. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you can yeah. check us out at JackassCritics.com, as mentioned before. Yeah. You can go ahead and do a search for us on Facebook for our latest updates. Don't worry, we don't spam you too much. Just like us, you'll find out when the podcast come up comes out. And you can find us on Twitter as well, Jackass Tom, Jackass Matt. Ooh, yeah. You get I'm two of it. us, each yep. one word, each all one word, Jackass Tom, Jackass Matt. And lately, yes, Jackass Matt has been doing some live tweeting. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that shortly. So yeah, we very will. Cool. We will. You'll find out about that in Bullets in the Chamber, which I'm going to start now. Oh, yeah. That's right. right. I'm, a, I'm even going to put on the background music. You can just do that the whole time. <laughs> I'll be flapping and stuff here on my end. That's a good plan. So, Matt, have you read the book Moneyball? You know, I have not. No. Um, baseball's kind of my least favorite sport, especially mm-hmm. as a grown-up. You know, I, I enjoyed it as a kid, but uh, when you're growing up, four hours is a serious uh, slice of life, so it's tough to justify. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie Moneyball? I have not yet. I'm mildly interested, and I think you have seen it some yeah. and what you thought, and if I should go. Yeah, so Matt, strike one, strike two, I've done both. Look nice. at me. Yeah. Big guy. Tough hey, guy. You are uh, checking all the boxes, buddy. Checking all the boxes. Yes, <laughs> so I did see Moneyball, and a couple of years ago I did read the book Moneyball, because yeah. it's something I was interested in. Like you, baseball is probably the fourth or third sport on my list, yeah. but... I'm really interested in the story of Moneyball because it's all about how you change scouting. And this is something that really interests me. I love the idea of scouting in sports. And I love the idea of taking a look at some some kid and trying to figure out if he's going to project well in the sporting world, right? It's a little bit of gambling. It's, you know, yeah. try, trying to break the code. And the whole thing about Moneyball, right, is uh, one of the things they bring up in the book 
you go through the draft, you draft like 40-some players, and you're lucky if one of them pans out. So that really tells you that the system is flawed, right? There's got to be more talent out there that's untapped. You know, how do you find it? How do you identify it? And, uh, yes, you know? yes, and that's how they do it, right? Or that's yeah. that's the idea behind what Billy Bean wants to do in Moneyball, is uh, he wants to figure out how the system's broken and what a better system for identifying talent is, and he uses statistical analysis to do it, or... He doesn't do it. In the book, Paul D. Podesta does most of the work. And yeah. in the movie, they turn the, I think, rather tall, skinny tall Paul D. Podesta into the rather short, chubby Jonah Hill version, which is <laughs> Peter Bryant. Right. Yeah. And I will say, the movie does a wonderful job of pulling in a number of the points of the book. And at no point did I feel like they just completely abandoned the book. There's some spots that they did drop. Uh, yeah. they, I mentioned the draft. The whole, I want to say the first chapter or maybe the second chapter really digs into the draft and how they're taking a look at players that most teams are just sort of laughing at. They draft this catcher who's about 240 pounds. Maybe in All the, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. The but enough. the guy gets on base. The guy knows how to get, get on base, which is really one of the stats that they're looking for, right? OPS right. is a big thing. So... They got rid of that, but I understand that. That's tough to show in a movie, right? A draft. Right. Yeah. So it's really about how they feel the team for, you know, like a, a sixth of what the Yankees feel the team for and how right. they end up winning 100 games that year and they end up winning 20 games in a row. So. Yeah, Billy Bean, who's the, that's the Brad, is that Brad Pitt in the movie? That's the Brad Pitt character. So if you're not a total baseball nerd or stat nerd, uh, Mr. Bean is the like general manager, is that his title? Yep, he's the GM. Um, the Oakland Athletics, I believe. And, you are uh, correct. You know, their uh, budget, while they are in California, still isn't anywhere, you know, on par, from what I understand, with the Bostons and the... Uh, Even the San Francisco. Okay, right down the street, exactly. Yeah. So, you know... He, and obviously, you still have to compete, especially in baseball, 162 times a year. Uh, you're still expected to put out, you know, product on the field. So yeah, uh, it's kind of cool. Now, uh, what's interesting about this one? I thought, I mean, from what I understand, the book is it's pure nonfiction, right? It was researched and it was written as a nonfiction book. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the guy kind of, the guy essentially spent a season, Michael Lewis spent a season with Billy Bean and picked up all this around him, right? Yeah, and now they're transitioning into a movie, and while the movie is mostly nonfiction, I, I assume that there's some fictionalized elements, or I mean, obviously they're not being completely true to true to life in terms of even the physicality of these people and whatnot. Yeah, that's a tough thing to pull off. They do Yeah, have, how unusual they, is that? I mean, I can't really think of something to this extent that's been done. They they bring in actors to play mostly players that they bought on the cheap who were the main points of the book. So, like, right. Chad Bradford was one of them, Scott Hatterberg, all the guys who had these flaws. They're like the the island of cast-off toys or, or whatever it's called, right? Yeah. Um, so they have actors playing those guys, but for the bigger names on the team, 
they really they have actors playing those players like yeah. Miguel Tejada and Eric Chavez and Tim Hudson but you either don't see their face, you don't hear them talking, you see them for a split second on screen, you know, the more identifiable players. But yeah. one thing that does also is it makes the movie, and this is one of my complaints, and maybe it was even part of the book too, but it makes the Oakland Athletics of 2002 look like the Cleveland Indians in Major League, where it was like a totally jerked-together <laughs> team. But right. in actuality, they, they had some real talent on that team. It's just they had to fill in a lot of the gaps with lesser players. I mean, they had yeah. Tim Hudson in his prime, and they had Barry Zito in his prime, or at least while they were up and coming. Yeah, was Giambi on the team at that time, or was that... The movie starts off showing 2001 and how Giambi, Damon, and Isringhausen all left at the same time. Yeah, I see. Yeah. That kind of sets the stage, I guess, for, I assume Billy Bean is looking off into the sky saying, I can't afford these guys, what am I gonna do? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he tries to pull in some money. I mean, he, he he's trying to, to pull together some dollars from the owner to to sign guys like Giambi and Damon, but every time he comes up with some offer and, and finds you know another five hundred thousand between the sofa cushions, you know the agent for Damon comes back and says, "Well, now the number's this because Boston's willing to match that." You know, yeah. so you can see the frustration on on Billy Bean's face. But for him, it's all about the you know the competition of being able to put together a team that can win the World Series on a dime. Yeah. yeah. Now, as far as the overall arc of the story, does it end with uh, just success for the athletics, or does it go to the next step and say, well, we've transformed baseball, look at all these other examples of the awesomeness that we've done? Yeah, so the way the book ends and the way um, the movie also ends... Billy Bean gets an interview with Boston. He can become the highest paid GM of the time, but he decides to stick with the athletics instead for less money because he doesn't want to be the guy that jumps ship and, and wins only because he got the Boston payroll. It's, it's really like a chip on his shoulder. And um, they do sort of come off after the story and put some words on the screen saying Theo Epstein later took the job using a lot of the same methods Billy yeah. Bean did and ended up winning the first World Series in Boston in a hundred years, right? Okay, right, sure. Yeah, but you know, some of my other problems with the movie, uh, the pacing at the beginning, even for for me, a guy who really likes going through the statistics, felt a yeah. little bit slow. Yeah. So by the time they got over to the, I think the 145 mark and they were talking about the... Uh, DAs winning their 20th game and then going to the playoffs. I mean, they literally snapped their fingers and the A's lost in the playoffs. It, it was yeah. very abrupt. It's like all hmm. of a sudden, you know, punch to yeah. the gut and yeah, yeah. Hmm. all the disappointment. Now, I know uh, this is Jackass Tom uh, partook in this as well. What the did she think? And, you know, did she follow suit with your thoughts and your impressions? Yeah, yeah, she was with me. We both thought it was a good movie. People are talking about it being an Oscar-worthy movie. I don't think it's something I would say is one of the best movies of the year. I guess they have ten movies they can contend for the Oscars these days, yeah. so yeah. it could find its way in there. You know, as the tenth, ninth movie, that'd be fine. Um, and yeah, my wife liked it, and she was asking me baseball questions the whole time. Who's this okay. person? You know, right. basic questions. Uh, because yeah, she doesn't follow baseball at all. So for someone yeah. who doesn't follow baseball, it, it would be a difficult movie to watch because okay. they just, you know, they dive into stats, stat sheets everywhere, numbers, OPS, on base percentage, all this other crap. Yeah. So it, it's a tough movie to follow if you're not a baseball fan. But at the same time, it's it's pretty enjoyable. You know, I was just thinking, 
you know, I was saying how rare it is to have a piece of nonfiction translated that way, but I guess we did uh, the social network, which is probably fairly similar in terms of taking, you know, factual type uh, subjects and right. putting a little fictionalized spin on it or to some degree, you know, you know wherever the blend of story and, and nonfiction meets. Yeah, I, I would think that that movie was probably more fictionalized than, than Moneyball. I, okay. I could be... You know, putting myself out there for spitball, <laughs> correction like, later. Spitball it. Yeah. yeah, I'm throwing the spitball, but um, yeah, yeah I, w- I would say just based on the fact that there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of games that you can actually go back and see the film of that they they talk yeah. about and whatnot. I, I would say there's a little bit less fictionalization there. I mean, uh, they changed the main, princi- the main principle of social network, you know, specifically and intentionally was not involved in that project, as opposed to right. you know this where there's plenty of source material, and I assume everyone is. Plenty okay, Mr. Bean himself, and uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Stats counter guy, not yep. Fat Jonah Hill, uh, I'm sure, you know, more than happy to be part part of a big time movie and whatnot, so. Right. Yeah. Okay, Matt, that was my first bullet. Um, right. You have a special bullet for us. I do, and our uh, faithful listeners will recall that we had our summer blockbuster movie bet, mm-hmm. and Winnie the Pooh specifically lost for me. Thanks, Pooh. You always got to blame it on Pooh Bear, but, you know, the numbers don't lie, so. <laughs> Thanks, Billy Bean. The ball don't lie. Yeah, that's uh, right. So, as part of the bets, uh, some of my payback I had to pay was uh, to watch a movie of your choice, which wasn't going to be pleasant. It was probably going to be diabolical. I'd like to say, part yeah. of Article 2, I gave you an out on this. I gave you a choice. It was I said. You could watch Tiptoes or any movie by Andrei Tarkovsky, including Solaris. Fairly generous. Um, and I went for the obscene, the ridiculous. Um, you know, it was either going to be serious or ridiculous. And for the sake of my stupidity, um, which I like to feed, like it's a fire, you know, add some coals onto that. Mm-hmm. Chose Tiptoes. Um, so someone not in the know, I recommend you pause it right now. Go to YouTube. At least watch the trailer for Tiptoes. It's going to be some of the best two minutes of your life. Uh, a brief synopsis. Um, I'll give you the star list first, or the a- the actors and actresses that are involved with this. Uh, yeah. Star Kate Beckinsale. Uh, a nice little attractive young lady. Some eye candy. Some eye candy. Uh, her uh, husband, boyfriend, what have you, is Matthew McConaughey. Um, some eye candy for the other side. He spends a lot of time with his shirt off. Um, Gary Oldman, um, very accomplished actor. Um, Eye candy for nobody. But had a lot of diverse roles, done pretty much everything under the sun as far as acting goes. Uh, Patricia Arquette. And the real stars of the movie are the little people, Tom. The little people. I, so little this people. is a, a movie about uh, leprechauns then, right? <laughs> Jumping no around one, on their tiptoes, granting wishes. No one is uh, green, there are no Smurfs. The only pot of gold here is is the warmth in your heart as I suffered and live-tweeted my pain uh, watching Tiptoes. So the story (laughs) goes, uh, McConaughey and Beckinsale are in love. Um, She has a bit of a surprise pregnancy, and um, McConaughey's been hiding a little secret that uh, the entirety of his family uh, are, I'll get this right, dwarves, not midgets, but they all like to be called little people. And that's important, Tom, and we'll talk about that. Um, so, as it turns out, that's a genetic trait, um, and I, I, I'm basically like a grief counselor for dwarf and dwarf family recoveries at this point. Cause I you sound like an movie. expert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and after the PSA-style softballs that were lobbed, I really am prepared to answer questions about people's grieving over having dwarf children. 
Um, so this is a big shock and surprise. Uh, McConaughey doesn't uh, isn't embracing this because he knows the child may be a dwarf and his whole family <laughs> and brother. And, and not only is it his brother, but it's his twin brother, of course. It, oh, twin brother. <laughs> yeah, Gary Oldman's his twin brother. Uh, and you may be asking yourself, Matt, Gary, I've seen Gary Oldman. He's a he's a normal. He's, he's a <laughs> at least five feet tall. Is that what they uh, call us, normals? Yeah, they do. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, they didn't do that in the movie, but if I'm pretending I'm a dwarf or a little person, I'm calling us normals. So nice. That's <laughs> really and I'm okay. hoping that uh, we get some little people that are picketing Jack S. Craig's World Headquarters here eventually, because I'll go out and pose with them and hype out and stuff. Yeah, that'd be great. That's because I'll tell everybody I'm Jackass Tom. So. <laughs> I'll say, there, there comes Jackass Matt when you walk yeah. out. Get him! Yeah. Um, tackle him! Go lower! Go lower! Yeah. Um, the nuts. Uh, <laughs> he was trying to punch your head, but yeah. they're so short. So anyways, um, <laughs> this, we'll skip around. And you may ask, uh, did I mention Patricia Arquette's in this? You know, no, weird, not yet. Weird, weird Patricia Arquette. Yeah. And she plays... Possibly, she's probably the worst part of the movie, which is pretty amazing given the content of the movie and how yeah. ridiculous it is and how the PSA, the after-school special type crap that goes on in it. But Patricia Arquette, man, out of control. There's so much crazy crap that goes on what, what in did she do? What, what does she do that's so overboard? I remember so she I, had I, dreadlocks, right? She had dreadlocks. Um, Cornrows. She was a, a peace, supposedly a peace-love hippie girl type of thing. But she's also a career criminal. She's cooked meth. Um, her boyfriend cooked meth, and they were like, they were basically like Bonnie and Clyde robbing people and going from state to state type crap. And her boyfriend um, was a little person? Uh, well, that was her ex boyfriend. She hooked up in the first scene of the movie, she hooked up with a little person. Mm -hmm. um, so she was recounting her past days. Um, the, the new little person that she her, hooked up with. Her was, past days of little person hookuppery? <laughs> she's uh, well. She, uh, she's hooked up with a a dwarf who's French. He's a self-proclaimed Marxist. Um, <laughs> he drinks a cough syrup from France because they don't sell it here or something like that. And he mixes it with cognac, which gets him really ripped. Or he, he has some sort of phrase for it. But um, so the little one and Patricia Arquette drink that and have arguments and loud sex while Gary Oldman is trying to sleep. But, I mean, I'm stream of consciousness and me, me telling you this, but that really is what the movie's about. I mean, that's how it goes. All of a sudden, that guy's, he's about to shoot somebody at a hotel, and then it's a slam cut, and we're back to Kate Beckinsale doing, doing art, and she's crying because her baby may be tiny, and then slam cut, and Gary Oldman's on a motorcycle, and he's really six feet tall, but they're trying to make you believe that he's three feet tall. It's just all over the map. It's absolutely insane. Uh, it, it was nuts. Wow. And then Anyways. how does it end? Well, about halfway through... Spoiler alert. Spoiler I'm going to alert. ruin yeah. tiptoes for everybody. Yes. This may take ten minutes, so you might want to skip ahead shortly if you really yeah. want to see this. Uh, halfway through, I figured the, the movie was going to end with, um, you know, her almost giving birth and then maybe a fade to black and... The baby comes out, and we don't know if it's a dwarf or not, and, and they say, oh, it's so beautiful, and everybody's happy and kisses each other, and they'll make it happen. That isn't what isn't actually what happens. Um, 
So McConaughey and, and Beckinsale get married, um, and it's a Jewish wedding, mm-hmm. oh, but sure. neither Kate Beckinsale's character nor Matthew McConaughey are Jewish. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. No. Uh, uh, yeah. But they do it anyways, and... Well, no, then, it kind of makes sense because, you know, the the yarmulkes are like little tiny hats, and he's got little <laughs> tiny family members, so, you know, uh, awesome. if you're going to wear a hat, it's already sized to his family, so I figured it out for you. That's a good point, Tom. I didn't, didn't consider that. Uh, thanks for bringing the other angle. Um, so the baby comes out, and I mean, do you really want to know if it's if it's a normal? It's not. It's not. No. Uh, McConaughey goes nuts and decides he can't do it. Takes off. Um, so Kate Beckinsale <laughs> runs into the stubby, loving arms of tiny Gary Oldman. Wow. The brother. The twin brother, might I add. The twin brother. So basically, if you wrote twins with dwarves, yeah, and Kate Beckinsale, who's hot, yeah, who's hot, uh, and made it worse, and you made it not funny. There was only one laugh in the whole movie, which I tweeted as well. Yeah, when David Allen Greer of all people was doing the wild thing with the little person, dag, uh, out in public, uh, in the middle of a party. Um, that was about it. But anyways, uh, horrible, horrible movie. Um, yeah, horrible. Wow. I don't know how I can up that. All Thank right, you. let's do the next bolts in the chamber. Let's okay, okay. Yeah, let's just move on. So I've been uh, catching up with, uh, I guess season three of The League is on FX now. I've been seeing advertisements. Season two just came out on DVD last week. What is this league you're talking about, Tom? The League. So yeah. The League is a television show on FX, and the way I would compare it, uh, or the way I would describe it would be, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia if they started a fantasy league. Hmm. I wouldn't yeah. say it's it's as crass as, uh, at least from what I've seen so far, I wouldn't say it's as crass as it's always yeah. sunny in Philadelphia, but it's, it's pretty close. And the characters are... You know, they're they're pretty well thought out. I would say, they all have their significant flaws, right? You got the one guy who, uh, you know, just everybody hates. You got the one guy whose wife is the one who's really picking all the good fantasy picks for him, and he would be completely lost if he had, you know, uh, if he didn't have her by his side. And he's always trying to keep her out of the league. Uh, Mark Duplass is in this movie. I don't know if this is an actor you're familiar with. The name sounds familiar, but it's not ringing a bell. Or it's not uh, bringing up a face. I'm trying to think of any major movie he may have been in, but I can't come up with one. I don't remember that Puffy Chair movie that we reviewed. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I remember you reviewing that. Yeah, he was the main guy in that. Oh, okay. And so, the director, apparently, yeah. And the director. And I think oh. the writer, too. I always like this guy. Any movie right. I see him in, I don't know, he just looks like one of these guys you'd want to hang out with and have a beer and talk about fantasy football. So it makes sense he's in this show. Yeah. So I've gone through maybe two or three episodes so far and enjoyed both of them. I think they went a little bit over the top. So the first episode of season two, they had their fantasy draft in Vegas. Oh, wow. And uh, the guy who won the league arranged for Chad Ochocinco to be there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Which I thought kind of cheesed up the episode a little bit, but the rest of it was pretty solid, I would say. I think that's our second podcast in a row with Brocho Cinco uh, shout-out. So. Yeah, we started with the Brocho Cinco last week. Oh, that's, that's a good call, yeah, man. I guess uh, Chad's uh, publicist has been earning his money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's one of these shows where you know, it seems like every episode there's one guy who just sort of gets picked on, and each person gets picked on for 
their significant flaw, right? And right, yeah. uh, the one guy who who has a really hot wife, he uh, and everybody on you know the show agrees that her his wife is hot and hotter than anyone they see in Vegas. But nice. she comes with a flaw because she has this really annoying brother named Raffy, who looks like the child musician Raffy, except nobody can stand him at all. He just comes in and you know completely ruins the party and. Anytime someone says, don't do this, he does the exact opposite, right? So yeah. if he's the designated driver, he just gets lit up at the party and <laughs> says, if he takes a dump, you know, in the middle of the party, he's going to be good 10 minutes later to drive home, so. <laughs> oh, you mean that isn't true? Apparently not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm having a great time watching this show so far, so I would yeah, recommend. We, we were lucky enough to get comp to copy that, right? To do mm -hmm, a review, which mm -hmm, will be uh, mm -hmm. dropping on our should be award-winning website uh, eventually here. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And are they doing uh, like uh, 10 episode seasons or 20 episodes? It would be 13, 13. Okay. And it yeah. seems to follow the fan, the uh, the football uh, week fairly well, okay, right? cool. Yeah. Because I know in the, the first week last year, Chicago played the Lions, and they were actually mentioning in the first episode after the draft, you know, I think that's Matt Forte over there, he's getting drunk, they're playing the Lions tomorrow, you better go trade him. Uh, nice, alright, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, if you're really into, I mean, we're both in a fantasy league together, but I'm not into it uh, to that degree, I'm not sure if I can pick Matt Forte out of the lineup. No, I couldn't either. <laughs> yeah. He went to my alma mater, too. How about that? <laughs> but uh, one thing that's interesting is that they do keep, you know, it's not just that the Fantasy League is a complete backdrop and they ignore it and they bring it up, like, once an episode. They yeah. really keep on this. Like, these guys are really into the league and that, you know, it, it intertwines into the episode extremely well without right. being brushed aside or without being too overbearing. Yeah. And they can still generate comedy through the characters' interactions and the obsession with winning this league and winning the trophy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought it, it was uh, it was really well done, very entertaining, and I'm very eager to watch the rest of the episodes. Yeah, so you've got the whole first season, is that correct? whole and... second season. I didn't okay. see the first season yet, so I'm probably going to have to go back and catch up at some point, but you can jump into it in season two, and you won't... I don't That's think you'll true. be missing much. Maybe maybe you will, but, you know, it's one of these... Yeah. It's one of these shows that you're going to laugh, no matter right. what the background is, right? Now, do you think Mrs. Uh, Jackass Tom would appreciate that as well? No, she, probably not so much. I think it's a little bit too crass for her. Alright. I know she was into uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for a little while until it got to the point where it was just way too overboard. and <laughs> They turned it up, uh, the, the volume, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, it was just, you know, one one abortion joke too many or, you know, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can understand right. it. They, they started going into pretty deep waters there. And <laughs> right, right. You have to be of a, a certain dark comic sense. And right. granted, the league doesn't go that deep. But there's still a little bit of that, hey, we're on FX, so we can get away with a little bit more. And, you know, this is a show about guys, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a guy com, so to speak. It's going to have that little bit of apatowishness to it. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to either have to check that out or borrow the DVDs from me at some point, because that sounds, you know, right up my alley. I like, you know, rough guy comedy, and mm -hmm. I enjoy a good fantasy uh Fantasy sports. I mean, I'm usually the punching bag in fantasy sports, so mm -hmm. I'm sure there's probably a character on there that I would identify with. Like, right. consistently loses or loses focus halfway through and ends up <laughs> looking at the ceiling every week or something like that, which is basically me. So yeah, you're starting yeah. a quarterback who has a significant back injury. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that guy. Yeah, that's all about guys just ripping on each other and having a good time. 
That sounds about right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, I think between the time that we podcasted last and the time we're podcasting now, there's been significant news and then reversal of that news. Matt, do you want to tell us about that for your next bullet? Yeah, I mean, talk about uh, building the company and then folding the company at the speed of light. So, um, you know, we have the current theme of talking about digital delivery of movies and what the future of movies is. The latest um, news. Our friends at Netflix decided to stand up a uh, brother-sister company, I guess you could say, called uh, Quickster, uh, which was going to handle all of the DVD, physical DVD uh, concerns. And then Netflix themselves was going to stay streaming only, so you mm-hmm. either stream to your PC or what have you. The idea in and of itself is not bad, but some of the choices were quite... Uh, confounding i guess you could say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you'd have two separate logins you'd have two separate charges on your credit card um you know you literally have two separate accounts that you would have to maintain um and there was some pretty critical backlash from um you know both uh, netflix uh customers as well as just the internets in general um definitely not a well-received type idea yeah so, I, I mean I was trying to look at it objectively, too. I, I was thinking, okay, it, it makes sense. They're they're changing the way they're focusing on their delivery mechanism, right? Yeah. So when Netflix started, it was all about mailing DVDs, and people were thinking, oh, this is great. I don't have to go to Blockbuster. The DVDs are, are sitting here. I don't have to pay these late charges. I send them back whenever, right? It had this pretty, whole... Yeah, pretty compelling, yeah. Yeah. But then it changed, and they were all about streaming. And part of me was thinking that, okay, when they broke apart, it made sense because you can you can just picture the guy who's at the top of the food chain there, the CEO, concentrating solely on this one side yeah. and letting the other side go. I mean, I've been in business before where there have been multiple business areas, and the CEO is going to focus Fair on enough. his yeah. his favorite. Right. Yeah. So splitting off kind of made sense to me because if you're really the type of person who who wants your DVD and Blu-ray coming in every week, yeah, you know you're 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 gonna want that business to survive, right? Yeah. And you're gonna get over the fact that it's gonna be a different credit card charge or yeah. whatever. So I, I thought, okay, they're gonna get over their initial lumps, and it's probably gonna end up being a better thing because you'll have a second CEO who's more concentrated on growing that that business, making yeah, the yeah. library better, improving it, soaking in ideas. It'll be his baby, right? Or her baby. Yep. But alas. Yeah, that idea has already crumbled at this point. <laughs> uh, I got my official email from the CEO, apparently of. Just Netflix now that uh, he, he apologized for the uh, previous email. Just ignore it. He would retract it if he could, but that's not how email works. Yeah. Uh, I was so wondering maybe, if you got one of these, you know, Outlook. Someone attempted to recall yeah. a message but failed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I seem to remember reading they had, you know, 20 million customers or something. So, you know, I don't know if you can send out 20 million uh, retracted email requests or what, what would happen to the Internet if that happened. Yeah. Um, you know... I, my biggest complaint was my usual MO for something like Moneyball, for example. You told me about Moneyball. I'm going to go on to Netflix, you know, after this podcast, and I'm going to add that to my queue. Um, so if it comes out one day and it's available and streaming, then I'll watch it through stream, which is cool. If it comes out and it's not available, you know, I'll get the disc. Um, 
So if they did splinter those sorts of things, I would have to log in to my Quickster because I would rather stream it. I mean, it's more convenient. I can do it whenever I want. I don't have to wait for disk. You know, if they did splinter them, I basically have to go to Quickster first, you know, register for the disk and then go to Netflix, register for the stream, you know, so somewhere, you know, whenever that comes to DVD or it becomes available, you know, five, six months from now. You know, I basically have to juggle both of these. So all these movies, mm -hmm. I would basically have to double up, you know, in one service and the other. And I would prefer it, you know, it's even worse yet then if I'm getting the disc mail into me the same day that it becomes available in streaming. I'd be like, oh, con, you know, there's right. a wasted disc. <laughs> um, so I thought, you know, on the other hand, it was kind of an opportunity for some ingenious uh, web programmer to basically create a meta service that would manage, you know, basically your two queues. Uh, tell you if one some movies available one or the other, so you didn't necessarily have to, you know, double dip and try to manage both of them at the same time. That was my biggest complaint, um, and I think that some some nerd out there who would have been angrier about it than I am, and probably more talented web programming than I am, would have probably uh, answered my siren call for me. So yeah. So I guess my question then is, where does this leave the industry? Is, are yeah. they going to be stronger because they're coming back together? Or, I mean, people are criticizing them left and right. Is this going to be another opening for Blockbuster or some other group to gain more market share? It is interesting. And both, you know, Blockbuster is pounced with their uh, streaming to some degree, um, as well as Amazon. Um, you know, they've pronounced on their homepage and... Uh, I've also received some emails. They've got a streaming service. You know, if you have Prime, uh, they have a streaming service that's free, which has a far less selection. But you know, that provided a little crack in the armor. Mm -hmm. Really, the uh, Netflix is the place to go for streaming today. But they're just because they were the first ones, you know, to to strike basically. So all their mm -hmm. content deals are real cheap, um, and those are coming up for renewal over the next two or three years. So really, it's going to shake out. And the presentation, I mean, the, the biggest problem was the email from uh, the Netflix CEO, Reed, really didn't discuss all this. It just said, we're doing this. There's going to be two different companies. It's going to be great. Trust us. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe if they had attempted to justify it to say, if by doing this, we're going to expand our streaming library because we know lots of people like streaming, um, maybe that would have had a better effect because all these deals are coming up. The expenses are definitely going to go up because Netflix stock was $300. Netflix is making money every quarter. Uh, the people that make media, I don't know if you know, are pretty traditional people. They like money. They're not real keen on having other people get a lot of profits without them getting cut of it. So the next content deals, that money has to come from somewhere. And, you know, if they are one company, basically the DVD people are going to end up subsidizing. You know, if you don't ever watch streaming, well, you're still going to end up having to subsidize basically mm -hmm. the people that do because that those content deals are going to be multiple times more expensive you know per episode or per movie i, I predict um, for either netflix or somebody else like you said right right yeah i'll be curious to see how this plays out i mean yeah it's a cool time i mean you have yeah. more choice than ever uh you know watch stuff on demand and it's a cool time to be a movie fan or a tv fan but uh i think things are going to change and at the $8 a month type all-you-can-eat, I mean, it's, if there's stuff you like on there, it, it, cable or satellite isn't even competitive. I mean, it just, everybody I know that has those sorts of, it's almost a three-digit bill, you know, almost $100 a month, or in some cases more than $100 a month. Uh, if you can, <laughs> you know, swap in as a substitute, the internet economist, and he says, for $8, 
Yeah, that's a pretty brutal competition, but I think that number's got to go up uh, in order to just ha have the library continue to grow and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for Let's bringing that, that to us. Yeah. And that is our segment called Bullets in the Chamber. Nice. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to take this moment again. Uh, October 29th is fast that's approaching. Close to, that's close to Halloween, and it's close to right now. It's close to right now, yeah. yeah. So you know what you got to do. You got to go to www.flinthorrorcon.com and get yourself a $10 ticket and arrange for yourself to be in Flint, Michigan on October 29th as close as you can to the historic Masonic Temple in Flint, Michigan, so yeah. you can get inside yeah. for the Flint Horror Con, put on yeah. by our friend Chris Ringler. Tickets, again, $10. There'll be all sorts of things for horror film lovers to do. There's going to be art. There's going to be movies. There's going to be all sorts of booths set up, people selling books, etc. Yeah. It's just going to be a great thing to get you into the Halloween spirit. I gotta say, they, I went to went to Grim Ringler's site, the gentleman that's uh, putting it together, and uh, mm -hmm. I mean, his guest list is legitimate. He's got actors, <laughs> yeah. he's got uh, comic book people, he's got uh, artists like writers and whatnot showing mm. up, and true artists as well. Uh, that's uh, pretty impressive, uh, pretty cool uh, going down right there in Flint. It's easy to get to and easy to mm. get out of. Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's not a you know a big city that you're gonna get uh, squished into. You're not gonna get into a situation where you're paying $20 for parking and right. all this other stuff. It's it's going to be very accessible. We said it on the last podcast. This guy knows what he's doing with respect to the horror genre, so it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. 10 bucks, basically free. You can buy a burrito or you can go see a bunch of movies, meet some cool people. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, so check it out. www.flinthorrorcon all one word, no dashes, dot com. Sweet. And have yourself a good time. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so for the second part of the podcast, oh, yes. you, will, you will have to download that one as well. We will be talking about the movie Dress to Kill in just a moment. All right. So we will see you guys on the flip side.